Hey everybody, welcome. Yes, this is the Crunchy Mama podcast. I'm so glad to have you here joining me today. My name is Rosalie and I live in Aotearoa, New Zealand. I was inspired to share through this podcast my perspective on parenting in a more natural way. I've chosen to go against the grain and instead base my decisions on what intuitively feels right and the information I've gathered from researching all sides. This is what I will share with you here on a full range of parenting topics. So, enjoy! Hello, hello! Welcome back, you guys. Finally here with part three in the Natural Health series. Um, yeah, excited to to get the last of the info out to you guys. I'm sorry, as always, there's been such large gaps in between. But just before we get into it, I wanted to share something exciting with you guys. Um, if you follow me on Instagram, you most likely will have seen this news already, but I know not everybody does. So um, what I have done is I have created a Patreon account. Now, some of you will be really familiar with and know what this is, and others of you may never have heard of it. So basically, it's an online monthly subscription where you can support creators so basically all this content I put out for you guys is completely free like the time and effort I put in like away taking away from my family taking away from other things all my you know everything else I need to fit into my life um, I do just all for free and I do it because I absolutely love it and um yeah wouldn't want to wouldn't want to not be doing it but um I just realize that I should be valuing the time and effort and energy I put into this and as well I have to pay for my website every year which um, costs almost a couple of hundred bucks and I need that to host this podcast through so if you would like to if you find that you get value from my content and really appreciate and would like to support me um, I would be so grateful and you can find the info at Patreon, which is spelled P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Crunchy Mama Podcast. Remember, the mama is spelled M-A-M-A. So go on there, check it out. Um, there's two options. If you just want to choose to support me, you can do anywhere from $2 upwards per month. Um, and that's in US dollars, by the way. Or you can, if you choose the $5 a month option, you get something extra special. You get to join a private Facebook community community that I have started called Crunchy Parents and you guys this is such an epic group of um, all women so far of um, wonderful mamas mums to be and uh, I'm just loving having a space to just share in so easily and regularly like as I as I said before I love sharing all this information with you guys through the podcast but as you know it takes me so long to put this info together and get it out to you guys um, so it's so nice to just be able to just do posts you know every couple of days about whatever it is that's going on in that day or I'm thinking about or reflecting on or something I've learned and there's just so much honestly like uh, yeah this is my life just so much learning happening all the time so I'm really loving having a space to share that um, and what's epic about the group as well is that the members are all able to just post and ask questions um, whenever they are seeking some advice or help also cool as well you know like when you're listening to a podcast and you've heard me explain something but you're kind of like oh I don't quite get that or I wish I could ask a question about that if you sign up to this five dollars a month you can get access to this community and that's exactly what you can do ask questions anytime all the time um yeah and I'm so happy and there to answer so yeah I would love to see some of my wonderful listeners joining us there 
All right. So as I have talked about in the previous episode, obviously when it comes to sickness, prevention is ideal. That's the approach we should all be going for. But even the healthiest people get sick, right? Like this is just a natural part of life. It's not something you can 100% avoid. And I actually fell into this trap the other day. Fern got sick um, a couple of weeks ago. She just had like a real mild fever, just lasted like two, three days no other symptoms and then she was totally fine again and I was saying to Dylan I was like oh I feel like a failure as a parent like what have I not been giving her good enough food and I was like wrecking my brain for all these things that I hadn't been doing he just looked at me and he was like oh my god are you serious like everybody gets sick and I was like ah yeah good reminder thanks (laughs) um but yeah and also yeah just remember that that change of mindset which is what I need to keep working on is that um, sickness is actually a really healthy process for your body to go through you know it always comes up at an appropriate time so it either pops up as like a natural time for rest if you've been too busy um, or with children that you know that mindset I've talked about before that I love is that it's a natural evolution that your child needs to go through and they're going to come out stronger on the other side so that's why I think it's so important that you know we don't try to block the symptoms of sickness and see it as a bad thing because you know those symptoms are your body doing exactly what it needs to do to rebalance and if you take something from the chemist something synthetic um, or artificial to stop you your symptoms whatever it is maybe you're vomiting or you're sneezing or you've got a fever if you stop those that's interfering with the process and is actually making it harder for your body to eliminate that illness But what I want to talk about in this episode is there are a range of methods that can help you to more naturally support either you or your child's body um, when it does get balance. So just to start with a little disclaimer almost, um, I'm going to be referring once again in this episode to the book, The Nourishing Traditions Book of Baby and Child Care, quite a lot by Sally Fallon Morrill and Thomas S. Cowan, MD. So I'll put the, um, the details of that in the show notes, of course. But they have a little section called When Home Remedies Are Not Appropriate. So I thought it'd be good to just start with this. So it says trauma. If your child has a serious injury, head for the emergency room. Modern medicine really does have a lot to offer when it comes to treating trauma. And when we ignore these gifts, bad things can happen. When your child falls out of a tree and has a concussion or a bone is sticking out through his skin, you don't want to treat him at home. Seems obvious, right? But good reminders. Also an extremely high fever. Most fevers play a beneficial role in your child's health, but an extremely high fever over 104 degrees, that's Fahrenheit, not sure what that converts to, um, can be a dangerous situation for a young child and you may need to get emergency care. Trouble breathing. This is another situation that calls for quick action. If a child is unresponsive, limp in your arms or has glazed eyes, you need to get help. Dial 111 or hurry him to the emergency room. And lastly, if your child has swallowed poison, your child has gotten into the dishwashing powder, antifreeze or other poison, get him to the emergency room at once. So good reminders, as much as everyone listening probably loves a natural approach, there are times when Western medicine is amazing for sure. Okay, so I'm going to run through a bunch of natural medicines that work with your body and with the process of the sickness. So they're not just eliminating those symptoms but just in general helping to strengthen your body and yet enable it to fight off and do exactly what it needs to do. 
So the first one is vitamin C. Now this is just like a great general support for your body. You can take this for almost everything. And I'm talking about just from like a regular cold to having whooping cough to curing whooping cough. Um, not curing it, sorry, to help your body through whooping cough. Um, even helps with fight infections. So, so many uses. And now when you hear vitamin C, I don't know about you guys, but growing up we always had those... Um, big plastic puddles of them and it was the little round tabs and they were delicious and that was what I used to think vitamin C was but um, since having Fern and doing a couple of courses and doing a lot more learning I've learned about this amazing super high dosage vitamin C. There's okay it gets a little confusing there's lots of different types of vitamin C okay you've probably never heard of half of these before I hadn't and I'm only still like wrapping my my head around all the names and um, all the uses for them but for now I'm just going to talk about three popular types that you may or may not have heard about before but there's so many more so the first is sodium ascorbate then there's also calcium ascorbate and ascorbic acid so those are three kind of common ones that I hear pop up a bit Um, And they all have their different uses. Some of those you take orally, some of them you use topically. And then just to make it even more confusing, the form that they come in can also be in two different ways. They can either come as a powder or as a gel, which is often called lipospheric. So for example, sodium ascorbate, I have it as a powder and I also have sodium ascorbate in the form of a lipospheric gel that comes in sachets but it's still sodium ascorbate. I'm going to give you a second there to take all that in. So um, a little bit more info on those. This is some research I got from Dr. Thomas E. Levy. So talking about sodium ascorbate, he says that sodium ascorbate is probably the best and certainly the least expensive of all the mineral ascorbates for regular supplementation at relatively high doses. You can rub powder onto gums to help with teething pain. And <laughs> this one, okay, this one will crack you guys up. You can even snort sodium ascorbate to stop a really runny nose. I've been using this one um, a couple of times this week and I can fully testify to the fact that it works. And I remember in um, one of the authentic resistance workshops that I went to, I remember the facilitator saying this and I was just kind of like, whoa, like no, that's taking it a step too far. Like I would never try that. And then one day I just had like, you know, when you're just like sneezing and sneezing and sneezing and can't stop, it's really good for that kind of situation. I was like, all right, I'm desperate. I did it. Never thought I'd snort anything in my life. Um, and it <laughs> helped immediately. So there you go. You might be able to pluck up the courage to eventually try that one. So personally, I have to say sodium ascorbate, that is the one that I use all the time in powder form and in lipospheric gel form. So I call that SA for short. You might hear me referring to that sodium ascorbate. Um, now, one of my flatmates, she had some calcium ascorbate. She went to harvest and asked for some vitamin C and that's the one they showed there and she brought that back and was having that in and I had to look up I was like I feel like sodium ascorbate is the better type but I didn't know why so I looked it up and um, the research I found said that calcium ascorbate is not great taken internally for long-term use because of the high doses of calcium that it comes with so I think that's why sodium ascorbate is preferred over calcium ascorbate. Then a little bit more about lipospheric. So 
the difference is why you would take this over the sodium ascorbate powder is that when it's in this lipospheric form, it has the benefit of being very, uh, it has the benefit of very high absorption. And it skips the need for digestive activity before absorption. So this means your bowels won't be affected even when you take high doses. Whereas with the sodium ascorbate powder, you I'll go into the dosing um, really soon. But with the powder, if you take too much, if you your bowels can get really loose. So if you have lipospheric it skips your bowels and just gets absorbed really quickly so you don't need to worry about that so that's a bonus for it but it's a lot more expensive whereas the powder is really really affordable um other ways you can use the lipospheric that i have haven't actually tried myself but have heard you can use it topically as well you can put it onto sunburn and also onto bee stings to relieve pain um and i've also heard a lot of good things about taking lipospheric vitamin C through intravenous methods. I'm stumbling on that word. You say intravenously. Anyway, hope you know what I mean. Through a drip. Um, and that's with cancer patients. It's had great, great results used there. Um, apparently, it's quite hard to find places, um, at least here in New Zealand, that will do that for you. But I think some private hospitals um, will let you do that. Why wouldn't they let you have this amazing, super um, natural treatment? I do not know. Um, Ascorbic acid, that was that third one I mentioned. Now, this is the one that you use is really beneficial for using externally. Again, I haven't actually tried this one yet. I don't own any ascorbic acid, but it apparently it is great for sprinkling straight onto wounds. For example, if you or your child gets like a massive graze, you just sprinkle it all over the top cover it up and that will help with the healing process okay on to dosage so you're curious about these um, amazing forms of vitamin c and you want to know how to administer them now this dosage is so blooming confusing it took me a long time to wrap my head around this i, st- I still don't even know if i've quite got it but i'm i'm a lot closer so basically there's no set thing it's not like take one teaspoon a day for and that will work for every person it's different for every single person and also different for each person for every day (laughs) okay so for example with me what um the dosage that my body would need at the moment while my body is healthy it would be really little it would be like a quarter of a teaspoon that would be great for just like helping with general maintenance in my body I could take that a couple of times each day But when I'm sick, my body is going to need a lot more and be able to handle a lot more. So I would be taking more than that, maybe half to one teaspoon at a time. Um, Yeah, so when your body is sick, it will need more than just a maintenance dose. So the trick with the dosage is you need to experiment and figure this out for yourself or for your child. So you want to take just enough to be symptom free, but not so much as to cause low spells. So like I mentioned before, if you take too much of the sodium ascorbate, powder you will get low spells and I haven't had it but apparently this can get like quite bad like um the way that the facilitators described it is um you will hear this like belly rumble um ah here I've got it written here I've got um Okay, so they say, for acute illness, take until bowel tolerance. This is preceded by a rumbly tummy. Stop here or the result will be diarrhea. So that 
that um, this is exactly what I was just trying to say. So yeah, you have to figure out the balance. Now the other the other thing you need to know about it is it's not about taking like one big teaspoon just once a day. It's actually better to have smaller amounts more frequently. The more frequently you have this during the day, the better it is or the more helpful it is going to be for your body. So smaller quantities but more often is usually better. So if you're especially if you're noticing your bowels are starting to loosen, um, dial down that dosage or have it a little bit further apart. But in saying all that, that there's no real um, rhyme or reason to it, I do have some basic guidelines from the wonderful Authentic Resistance um, workshop I went to and they have got some ba- yeah basic guidelines um, and they say for a maintenance dose which I mentioned before you know if you just want to have just to help your body out when you're pretty healthy but just to have each day you would take this dosage two to four times a day um, again depending on the individual but for um, illness they've given the frequency below so for an infant you would give a small fingertip every 30 minutes For a toddler, one-eighth of a teaspoon every 30 minutes. For a child, half a teaspoon every hour. For a teen, a flat teaspoon every hour. And for an adult, a heaped teaspoon every hour. So that's kind of good to just give you a rough idea of at least some way to start um, figuring out the dosing and then what works for you or your child. I have to say that personally I found myself to be quite sensitive to it. Even when I'm sick, I can only still kind of handle like half um, half a teaspoon. And yeah, and then I just have that however times, many times I can remember to take it throughout the day. Um, but yes, that's kind of why I prefer the lipospheric because those um, the best way to take them, the best time to take it is at night just before you go to bed, but you can also have it any time during the day. Um, yeah, and it does really good work overnight and just always seems to get rid of whatever it is I feel like I'm starting to catch. Now, one major thing that I have learned is it's all good, all well and good to know about these great medicines or natural medicines that you can give your child to help, but... I have now experienced trying to give medicine in whatever form to a baby and to a toddler. And let me tell you, it is not easy. If you have not, if you've experienced it, you will know if you haven't, let me tell you. Um, So I wanted to give some tips on administering vitamin C to your little ones. So the best thing is to start using these right from when they're a baby and they get really used to the taste um, and we'll just have them straight. So with me... When I take um, when I take the sodium ascorbate powder, I always mix that with a little bit of water. If I had randomly had juice, I would ideally mix it with juice because I really don't like the taste, but I can kind of handle it. Um, usually don't have juice, so I can handle it now just taking it with water, but always check it back pretty quickly. Um, so that's the way I take it. But Fern, because I've done it right from when she was a baby, she literally will just take the powder like um and just have it straight in her mouth without even mixing it with anything or washing it down with anything she's just used to that taste so that's why I think it's epic to start that from when they're little and it makes it much easier to administer 
same with the lipo she loves like if she sees me taking a lipo sachet um which is still the sodium ascorbate but in the faster absorbing form um she always wants some (laughs) and um the lipo i'll talk about it a bit more soon but um the lipo sachets they all taste a bit different there are some that are really gross and then there's this one brand i found which also happens to be the cheapest so win-win um but that is actually it's actually bearable so at least i found a nice one of that but with the same thing with that at the start when i had another brand firm would just have it straight and i was like oh how can she how can she eat that But so what I do, um, so for babies and toddlers, the easiest way is to dab either some lipo or some of the sodium ascorbate on your finger, put it in their mouth and swipe it onto the inside of their cheek. So if you're using the powder, what I do is I just lick my finger first and then dip it in and it picks up some of the powder and then put it on their cheek. But you have to be really careful with the sodium ascorbate powder and with babies to make sure that they don't inhale it. So that's why you don't want to put it on their tongue or anywhere um, yeah, or like a lot of loose powder in their mouth by swabbing it on the cheek, you're putting it, you know, over to the side and also sticking it to the cheek and then, um, it's not going to cause them to cough or choke. So important. Um, but yeah, the more ideal way is to mix it with water or juice. But as I said, firms just so used to taking the powder straight. It's easy. Takes a second to do. Um, oh yeah, I also read somewhere that it's important to drink it straight away after you've mixed it with something, otherwise it just loses its potency. But if you are wanting to mix it with some water to give to your baby, um, a really good way to do it is just to put it in a dropper bottle. But same thing, you would just only want to mix up the amount that you were going to give them. Um, and then just keep doing that throughout the day because yeah, droppers, you can get those glass droppers um, just empty glass bottles with droppers from Huckleberry um, just a few dollars and then yeah put whatever you want in there and they work really well for babies so where to buy these things I wanted to add this in here because um, I know some really I know the best places now I think tell me if you found somewhere better but so obviously this is for New Zealand (laughs) Um, the best place to get lipo is from lipospheric vitamin C is from the chemist warehouse now you guys this is a horrible place to go into but it's worth it for this cheap vitamin C so the brand that I really like is called lipo shell it's $39 for a box I think there's like 30 sachets in there or something and it's also the best tasting I will put all of this in the show notes by the way um, and the best place that I've found a friend put me on to to get the sodium ascorbate powder is a website called the New Zealand Longevity Foundation website and it's $32.50 for this massive container of 500 gram container of sodium ascorbate and I feel like I'm still only only a quarter of the way through it and I ordered it last year so yeah it lasts a long time very affordable all right, I could keep going on, but I think that's enough. Don't want to overload you with too much about vitamin C for now, but yeah, amazing and essential in everybody's home. Okay, some other things are um, either an elderberry or an echinaceous syrup. This is a great natural way to help boost your immunity. So um, with me, sometimes 
I've I've gotten colds a lot this winter, um, and I'm going to go into that more on another podcast. I've been on a really cool little journey with that lately, but um, sometimes I'd be able to get over them just using the vitamin C, especially when I t- take the lipo. That I find that really helps, has great results. But um, if I've had it for a while and just can't seem to kind of get rid of it, like it's hanging on, lingering around, um, I go to Huckleberry and I get the kiwi herb ikiberry it's called um which is a syrup that that brand kiwi herb just seems to be really great in general so it contains echinacea root elderberry olive leaf and new zealand black currants and manuka honey so yeah it's just um a really nice clean but um effective syrup and yeah I've, I've had good results from it they also do a children's one um I haven't needed to give it to Fern yet but if I did want to give her something I would probably give her that it's called children's echinacea for zero to 12 year olds um and it contains organic New Zealand grown echinacea root with a base of organic apple juice so you can check that out now on to homeopathy um this is something again prior to having Fern I knew nothing about um, and now I'm just such a big fan of it because I've seen it work so many times. It's a really interesting thing in that um, a lot of people don't believe that it works um, or it's not scientifically proven to work. I don't know, there's something funny about it like that, but then that's kind of like half the world thinks that and the other half have used it successfully and seen amazing benefits and results from it and would, yeah, just um, think very differently. So each to their own, I would just encourage you to try it and see if it works for you and if it does amazing and if it doesn't, then move on and find something else. But personally, I've had great results with it. So I honestly, I can't explain to you guys exactly what it is. Um, I still don't even understand exactly how it works, but from my basic basic knowledge of it what they did is they found plants that when you ate or um, however you ingested these plants that they gave you symptoms particular symptoms so if you're showing these symptoms from an illness by taking this plant which gives you those symptoms it actually helps to restore your body back to balance I don't even know if that made any sense. Um, (laughs) So it's a really, what's great about it for babies especially is that it's a really gentle form of medicine. But there's quite, quite an art to it. There's again, kind of like the dosing for the sodium ascorbate. There's no like one size fits all. You take this, you take this. What you do when you're trying to figure out which homeopathic remedy to take is you match your symptoms. So And these might change. You might have something in the morning and then a different one that suits you in the afternoon if your symptoms have changed throughout the day. So yeah, it's it's not easy, but um, I've got a great homeopathic guide that I have used semi-successfully in treating myself and my partner and Fern. Um, Yeah, no, I had really good results. But what I would recommend is 
actually going and seeing a proper practitioner. I haven't done this myself yet. I got really close to going earlier in the year um, and then just didn't have enough time. I was getting a bunch of dental treatment done, stuff that I put off for a couple of years and had a broken tooth after pregnancy and uh, yeah, my mouth was a mess. But um, yeah, I, I ended up leaving it too late to book in to see the homeopath before my dental work. But I was just able to look up through searching online common remedies and then matching them to my symptoms. I used a lot of homeopathic remedies and they really helped. I didn't have to use the painkillers much at all, which was great because I was still breastfeeding a bit. So um, I didn't want to be taking anything. Um, had a little bit of Panadol, but yeah, ideally would have liked to not take in anything at all. Um but I want to run through a few common ones that I use a lot and know quite well by now. So the number one top one, and you've probably heard of this, even though you might not have known that it was a homeopathic remedy, is Arnica. And this is like the go-to for um, when Fern, you know, as your baby is becoming a toddler and they're toddling around and learning to walk and pulling themselves up on things, they fall and hurt themselves all the time. So if it's just a little bump, I don't worry, I don't do anything. But um, if she's given herself a really good whack somewhere, I give her Arnica straight away. And it makes such a difference. Number one, it kind of helps to calm her down. I sometimes take, I've taken it myself a couple of times if it's been like a really bad accident as well. So it helps to calm me down too. Um, it massively helps with bruising. So Fern almost never comes out in a proper big, ugly bruise because I've given her Arnica straight away. Um... Yeah, I just think it helps with like the shock and the pain a little bit and also the bruising. That's what I know for anyway. There's probably more uses as well. Um, and chamomilla is another really common one with little leaves because this one is great for teething. So I've definitely used that successfully to help when Fern was teething. Um, Apis is another common one that is the one that you use for bee stings and I have used this twice myself when I've gotten bee stings and I found it super helpful um, and oh, what else can I think of oh Ledum is another one I know that you use for so say you've chosen not to vaccinate and um, this is one you use to make sure that your child doesn't get tetanus so if this is for if they get a puncture wound and you're worried that um, it might be infected with tetanus then you give them them. so yeah this is a great great tool to have um, especially if you're choosing not to vaccinate it helps with a lot of those common illnesses and symptoms but even just in general it's so handy and I got a little, it's called a little kitty kit um, from my remedy here in Auckland and Browns Bay. And it just has, oh, I can't even think how many, probably like 20 remedies in it that they know um, are common ones that are used for toddlers or babies and toddlers and little kids. Um, yeah, and I just, I take that with us wherever we go, basically. I always have it on me and I have definitely gotten good use out of it. Now one little thing I wanted to share about homeopathy and I haven't quite figured this out yet but to me I'm not sure where that line, where to draw that line of um, wanting to let my child go through an illness and not have it cured but also knowing that homeopathy can be a really great support. So for example when Fern had whooping cough 
um, I knew that there were some remedies that helped, but I didn't want her to take one of these remedies and then for the whooping cough to be gone and her to skip that process of actually going through it and then the development and involvement that would happen for her afterwards. So yeah, if you're experienced in homeopathy and know the answer to that, I would love to hear from you. Um, I can share it in just a little bit about it in the next episode if anybody has thoughts about that. But so for me, I kind of, um, yeah, I just chose to err on the side of precaution and didn't really use much homeopathy for Fern when she had whooping cough. But yeah, that's that's up to you to, to make the decision. But like, for example, I think I've heard that with chicken pox, you shouldn't give the homeopathy until the spots have appeared. And once they've appeared and you know that that process is in place, then you can start using homeopathy to treat. Um, yeah. So yeah, that's when um, an experienced practitioner is an amazing person <laughs> to, to know and to go and see because they will be able to give you that sort of info that I am missing. Okay, another method of um, healthcare that I wanted to talk about is rongoa. And some of you may not have heard of this. So um, our indigenous people here in Aotearoa are the Māori. And this is their native plant medicine called rongoa. And my partner Dylan has studied in this and runs workshops um, teaching people about it. So through him, I've been able to learn quite a lot, which is epic. We um, And there's a few things that we have had really great success with using for fun. So I just wanted to share a little bit about what's worked for us. Um, again, it's kind of one of those tricky things. You don't really know dosing. You kind of have to just try, yeah, a bit of trial and error. Um to see what works and that can be like a little bit worrying with a tiny baby but we've we've never used anything um too powerful and definitely know which ones to stay away from so yeah just wanted to share what's worked for us so the beautiful plant horopito which is the one um that if you chew the leaves it tastes like really really hot and spicy red pepper um often found in mount um in the high mountains and we got some of this to treat fern had oral thrush for a little while and I'd read that that was good for treating that so I made it up into a little we made it into a tincture and I put it in a little spray bottle and was putting that in her mouth um, to treat the oral thrush what I found out a few weeks later was that I noticed that fern had had a couple of new teeth come through and I had not even noticed as in she had not displayed any of the usual symptoms of pain or crying and everything else. And I later read that Horopito was used really commonly for teething pain as well. And so I realized that in treating the oral thrush, I had actually helped her with the teething pain. So that became our new go-to. You need to use it quite frequently. Um, But yeah, that we had really great success with that. Another thing we've used is um, Dylan makes a lot of kawakawa balms um, mixed with beeswax or yeah, can be any number of things. Um, and these are great for helping with nappy rash, a nice natural balm. He's also made a manuka balm, which helped a little bit with Fern's Cradle Cap, but actually we never fully got on top of that one, but that has um, antimicrobial properties, so great for that. 
So yeah, just wanted to share a few of those things. There's obviously so much more. Again, you can go and see an experienced Rangoa practitioner if um, that sounds like what Pama's type of treatment that would vibe with you. Now, my list was originally going to stop there, <laughs> but then I've just um, had some amazing experiences recently with Chinese medicine through learning about the types of foods that I'm eating, through taking herbs and through acupuncture. So I'm just kind of of the mindset now that there's so many different healing modalities, even if you look at all of the indigenous cultures and all the different ways that they treat people. And they're all effective. Obviously, some work better for other people, for some people than others. Um, so yeah, I just I just can't recommend enough just staying open to all of these different things. If you hear something that sparks an interest in you or sounds like it would resonate with your body, then just give it a go because there's there's truth and wisdom in all of them and you just need to find the one that works for you. Cool. So I'll leave that there for now. Next, I just want to talk you through some just like other general ways to help your baby or child when they're sick. So obviously breast milk is, if you're still breastfeeding, that is doing amazing things, creating exactly what um, your baby's body needs to help fight off that illness. So obviously keep doing that. Um, Water. So once your baby is not being exclusively breastfeed, they're starting to eat a bit and they're having some water. Um, Yeah, obviously hydration is super important when your child is sick. Um, And a high fever often increases the risk of dehydration. So another um, important time to be well hydrated during that. And also if you're taking lots of vitamin C, that's another important time to make sure you're staying hydrated. Next is skin on skin. Now this has so many amazing benefits and you should do it as much as possible with um, a little newborn baby. But as they get bigger, you kind of forget and um, tend not to do it as much. But whenever Fern is sick, or kind of up until now, I feel like now she's uh, starting to get a bit too big. Occasionally I do it if she has like a really high fever or something. But um yeah, skin on skin is so helpful, again, to just calm and center baby and, um, yeah, just helps with all those healing modalities. Lots of sleep is obviously really important, um, and for me, I found that as a baby and a toddler, that whenever Fern was sick, she wouldn't just have, you know, if she usually had her day nap, like, in the bed, and I would feed her to sleep and then roll away and hop up and go and do my things, I could never do that when she was sick, she would always need to sleep on me, so that would be, yeah, a lot of energy from me at times, but um, that was important for her to, to get that sleep, so it was worth doing. Next, I want to talk about fever, so this is a common symptom of um, being sick, right, and can definitely has, um, you know, often bad connotations around it, like lots of parents get really, really worried if their child, um, if they feel like their child has a high fever, and again, will do things to suppress the body, they will give their kid Pamol as soon as they've got a fever, but really all this is doing is adding toxins to the body and just prolonging the sickness and this can actually also have the potential for limb damage by giving medication like that so 
yeah, just to change your perspective and know that fever is the body doing its job. It is the immune system responding to the invasion and taking the steps to get rid of it. And that high heat that it's um, making is necessary to kill off the virus. And that's why it's so important to work with it and not merely suppress the symptoms. And I looked up to double check that um, step from before and it's in this book that I was reading it says that a normal fever between 37.8 to 40 degrees Celsius um, is, are actually good for sick children, safe, and they're safe. So if it's over that, you definitely need to watch it a lot more closely and um, yeah, if it was much over that, then that's probably when you would be wanting to go into hospital and with a really high fever and making sure that your child is being monitored appropriately. But otherwise, just let the fever run. Um, you want it to, you want it to keep going and to burn off that offending antigen all in one hit. Because otherwise, if you just suppress the fever, it's just going to keep coming back and coming back. Um, you just want it to happen all in one go so that your, your child's body doesn't have to keep going through that process. Now another thing that I learned at the Authentic Resistance course was to pay attention to your child not to the thermometer when your child has a fever and this just really stuck with me for some reason and I've actually never checked <laughs> Fern's temperature on a thermometer when she feels like she has a fever so like I said she had one a few weeks ago and I just knew straight away like Dylan was like <laughs> when I told him the next morning, he's like, oh, well, have you checked her temperature? Like, do you know she's actually got a fever? And I was like, no, like, I'm her mum. I just, you know, it's just one of those mum things. You just know. I could feel the heat radiating, radiating off her body. That wasn't normal. And it wasn't just there for 10 or 15 minutes after she woke up. You know, it was like, it was hanging around. Um, so, yeah, I just, I pay attention to her. And... The trick that they say is to check your child's calves. If you feel the back of their calves and they're cold, it means that the fever is still rising. So it's going to keep going up. But when they feel warm, that means that the fever has peaked and will be starting to go back down again. So you know you're on on the way out and up. And I have used this and found it really, really helpful. Um, and I also noticed, not this last time, but the time before when she, her fever was probably a bit worse than this last one. Um, like when I'm using this word fever, like if I had taken Fern's temperature, she probably, probably wouldn't even actually be classed as a fever. It would just be like a slight a raised temperature, but this just seems to be the common colloquial term to go to. But um, yeah, in terms of fevers, they often spike really interestingly at 4 a.m. or 4 p.m. So that's just like a really good thing to know. If you're like struggling in the early hours of the morning, you'd be like, okay, hopefully at 4 a.m. it's going to spike and then we can get a few hours sleep and then it's going to be good the next day. So yeah, I noticed that with Fern as well. Also with fevers, um, it's really important that when you think your child is better to then have one more day of rest and get their nutrition back up on this day. This is something I find really hard. I'm like, may might have been like housebound for the past few days to like just make sure Fern's got a really chill, easygoing environment and can just focus on getting her better and not overstimulating or using up too much of her energy. And so like that first day that she's better, I'm like, yes, we can go out again. But even if it's just like a small chill outing, like I think this last time we went to the library or something, came back and she just had a complete meltdown. It was just like way too much for her. So yeah, always take one more day of rest. 
Um, as I mentioned before, hydration is really key with a fever. Little and often is the way to go. If you've got a little baby, you can, um, not a tiny baby, but a baby who's <laughs> off breast milk or partially weaned, um, you can just give them little sips on a teaspoon or from a dropper. And of course, there's some homeopathic solutions for fever. Um, some of the common ones are aconite, belladonna, and chamomilla. And again, what you need to do is to match them to your child's symptoms. So yeah, different for every child. And lastly, to do with fever, my friend recommended me this podcast, which I listened to, and I learned so much from, so I want to pass it on to all of you. It's a super informative episode on, they talk about COVID-19, but just, they kind of, they talk about that, but also just general treatment of getting rid of a virus um, and about fever and how yeah how that's your body doing exactly what it needs to do and it gives you a lot of methods to just help with that natural process so I'm not going to summarize all that on here I'm just going to give you the um, the name of the podcast and you guys can go and listen if you are interested in that so the podcast is called Expanded with Lacey Phillips and it is episode 87 called Getting Perspective on Coronavirus with Karen Hurd and I'll pop that in the show notes now I thought this next bit would be really useful to share with you guys. This is from that Nourishing Traditions book again. And it gives you specific steps to support your child when they get something like a common cold or a virus or a fever. So firstly, once the sickness begins, our job as parents is to guide the process to its health restoring conclusion. We must keep in mind the fact that the sickness is the body's therapy. Therefore, we must work with it, not merely suppress symptoms. Firstly, ensure a calm, peaceful, understimulating, restful environment. Keep your child warm in layers of natural fibers. The room should be free from stimulation, for example, TV, music, bright lights. Keep the child still to conserve energy. The parent's voice is soothing and calming to them. Bear in mind that their metabolism is working hard during illness, so it doesn't need the burden of digesting food. A nourishing, simple soup is what you want to be serving. Foods rich in vitamin A are important as well because fever and inflammatory processes rapidly use it up, for example with measles. You can supplement with cod liver oil if you want to. Um, Clearing of the child's bowels is an important step to flush out and cleanse. Often this happens naturally with diarrhea or you can give stewed prunes to help. Put a hot water bottle in bed with them. Obviously not for babies though, instead do skin on skin. And the last step is to rest in the presence of a confident and peaceful mother. And so in this Nourishing Traditions book, they have specific sections and like step-by-step processes for so many common childhood illnesses. Um, Things like ear infections, tonsillitis, allergies, asthma. And yeah, I just, I love the perspective they have about just all the little things about like a nice calm environment and that just a confident, soothing parent and hearing their voices is all they really need. Now to finish up, I thought it would be really valuable to share with you guys the experience that we had when Fern had whooping cough. So this is obviously an illness that a lot of people choose to vaccinate against here in New Zealand. It's in our vaccination schedule Um, because yeah it's like it's a scary illness for your child to get and it can be especially worrying and even dangerous in really young babies but 
general, in general, um, in babies over the age of one who are healthy, it's a totally manageable disease. So when for and when this happened for us, this was in October last year, so October 2019. And I'll just kind of tell the story of how it happened first and then go into some details and points afterwards. So it started off, I just noticed that Fern had a little cough and I didn't really take much notice of it, but then until I realized kind of like a week later that it was still there and it had caught my attention a little bit, just enough to plant like a little a little bullet point, a little note in my mind because Fern had never had a cough before whenever she had been sick with like a little cold or whatever. Um, I don't know, she just had lots of sneezing and runny noses and stuff, but had never had a sore throat, uh, sorry, had never had a cough. So it did catch my attention a little bit, but you know, I'm <coughs> the general um, kind of method of my parenting with illnesses is to mostly just leave the body to do its thing. I kind of follow that like just watch and wait philosophy, um, especially with something as little as a cough. But yeah, as the week passed, it got worse and her coughing started yeah it would it was kind of crazy how quickly it changed actually it would end in her kind of choking or like having a little bit of a vomit and her whole face would go red so it was starting to come like a little bit of a dramatic event when she would cough um, I also noticed that she was starting to lose her appetite she wasn't having as much milk and just no interest in food wasn't asking for food anymore um, and she also started waking throughout the night with the cough as well. So after a week had passed and it had started getting worse like that, um, so funny how it happened. It was actually Dylan said to me, he said, do you think Finn's got whooping cough? And the thought had never entered my mind up until that point. And I kind of looked at him and was like, no, like, what are you talking about? Then I think I went away and thought about it. And later that night I was like... I think Fern's got her pink off. I think you're right. And it was just, yeah, it was so out of the blue for me. Um, yeah, so I'm so glad that whatever, yeah, Dylan was able to see things differently than me and bring that to my attention. Um, but so, yeah, after that week and it was getting worse, I took her to go see the doctor, which up until then she had never been to see a doctor, but um, if it, I wanted to see if it was whooping cough, because what's really important to me is to, is to know for sure if Fern has had one of these common childhood illnesses. So then, for example, if she's at like a daycare or school later on in life, which <laughs> might possibly never happen, or say somebody we know gets one of these illnesses, I can go back and look and say, oh no, Fern's already had that she will have natural immunity, we don't need to worry, that kind of thing. So <clears throat> that was kind of my main motivation for going to the doctor. I wanted to get a test and find out for sure whether she did or didn't have it. But when we got there, um, my GP is amazing and supportive and lovely, but she just said that it didn't sound bad enough to actually be whooping cough and just sent us home. And I could fully see why she would say that, like the classic symptoms of the whooping cough is as the the term whooping cough comes from is that whoop sound when they inhale and they're really struggling to catch their breath between coughs and Fern wasn't that bad at that stage so she was like no it'll just be some viral infection or I don't know I can't remember exactly what she said but I was I was still dubious I was like okay fair enough but it was still in the back of my mind I was like I kind of still think it is but we'll just watch and see so I started dosing her with a bit of sodium ascorbate just in case it was. 
Um, then we got about 13 days into this after her cough started and it was still getting worse. And I noticed Finn was now starting to look look quite sick and tired and worn out. Um, the coughing fits were getting longer. And by the stage she was, her whole body was kind of tensing up and she was struggling to breathe when she was having those coughing fits. And there was lots of vomiting happening, including all throughout the night. So yeah, night time's got to be pretty not fun. Um, that was a terrible word to use. That was the only one that popped into my brain. Um, yeah, I came to really dread the night times because it was scary. She would wake up in a panic, start having this massive coughing fit. She would go onto her all fours, have this massive fit. It would end in vomit everywhere, um, which, you know, she was just having milk, so it wasn't too gross vomit, um, just milky vomit. But yeah, and this would happen multiple times every night. We would get, I would get woken up in a fright with this happening. And yeah, it was really stressful and really hard having such wakeful, sleepless nights as well. Um, so we went back to see the doctor again a couple of days later because I was like, this has gotten a lot worse. But um, my normal GP wasn't on. We saw a different doctor and he just said the same thing. He was like, no, I, I still don't think it's pertussis, which is the other name for whooping cough. And he wouldn't do a swab, even though I I said that I would really like him to just take one anyway. He said he, he couldn't do that. And so I came home and I just felt so defeated. I was like, you know, had my first like experience with the medical system. And yeah, even like I said, even though I have a really great supportive GP, they just, yeah, we're obviously seeing things differently. And I actually felt a little bit like that crazy mom who was like, I, you know, I wanted to be like, no guys, like I know my child, like this isn't normal for her. Like this is, yeah, this is something different is going on here and described our night times. But again, he's like, no, she's not, not, not making that hooping noise. Um, um, it's not whooping cough. And when we went and visited them, of course, she would never like have a coughing fit. Murphy's Law. Um, and she seemed pretty fine. And honestly, during the day, she was mostly fine. Definitely a bit more reserved and chill than usual. And like I said, starting to look like a bit tired and sick. But um, she was also like still just happy and, and chill most of the day. And between her coughing fits, it was just nighttime that it was really bad. So I went back home, felt super defeated and was just like, probably had a cry to Dylan or something and um, I can't remember exactly what happened. I think maybe I talked to my mum as well and she was like, you should really try to get a swab. So I found some strength from somewhere and managed to stand up and call back up and got to speak to one of the nurses and she said, yeah, come in. <clears throat> just come back in this afternoon after Fern's had her nap I'll do a swab so we went in and got that and finally got the swab done which felt so good but yeah I couldn't believe how much of a process it was to to get there to get that done so <laughs> then following getting the swab visiting the doctor that morning having to go home going back that afternoon finally getting the swab done um that night just before f bed I heard Fern make that distinctive hoop noise that had been missing up until now so I was like okay before I even got the results back I was like okay I feel like I know for sure now she does have hooping cough so I started straight away dosing her with sodium ascorbate following the Dr. Susan Humphreys protocol. Now she has um, this big, long, lengthy, written out protocol specifically for whooping cough and dosing with sodium ascorbate. And 
Yeah, it's a big read. Um, one, yeah, one thought that just popped to my mind was, I remember finding it so hard that, so yeah, I wanted to start dosing fern on this protocol, but first of all, I just needed to sit down and kind of read through this like 10 page confusing document and figure out the dosing that was going to be appropriate for fern and I found that really hard to do while also nursing a sick child so I just had to be like Dylan I just need you to take fern for half an hour so I can like sit down and read this and figure this out because this is really important we need to be doing this to help fern um yeah so I'd heard I was lucky luckily enough knew about this protocol knew that um it had had a lot of great success so felt pretty confident in just treating her with that just at home by ourselves and just thought we may as well try that first and see how that goes um two so this is two weeks and now that Fern's had the cough for and things were still getting worse um like Honestly, going back and reading over these notes, I was just, it just brought back so many memories and it got really, really tough. Like I just keep writing, writing like things have gotten worse, things have gotten worse, like just when you thought they couldn't. So the fits at nighttime were just getting longer, film was just getting really upset and just so much vomit um, and everything. But the next day we got the test results back and surprise, surprise, they were positive. She did have pertussis. So that felt really good to just finally like 100% know for sure and kind of be like, ha, doctors, look at that. <laughs> I was right. <laughs> um, but then this is, you know, these are all the important parts I want to share of going through this process of your child getting one of these childhood illnesses is that we then had to go through that horrible process of, getting in touch with everybody that we've been in contact with in the last like one or two weeks when Fern was contagious and we didn't even know and say Fern's got whooping cough um if you have these symptoms there's like a little pamphlet that my GP sent me which I then send on to them and it's from the government just says like if you have these symptoms just make sure you go get tested or checked out and don't go visit any new babies or um, at risk elderly people so yeah that was really hard to do because I felt like that stereotypical bad mom bunny is um, who has been irresponsible and chosen to not vaccinate her child and has now got whooping cough and might have spread it to a brand newborn baby or something and so yeah that was really hard to go through that process luckily we hadn't seen any new babies but I had seen my grandparents recently and they've got lung conditions and it would have been terrible if one of them had got it luckily they didn't but yeah that was a really challenging part of it to go through and that's just something you're going to have to yeah figure out how to deal with if you go down this path of not vaccinating because it's inevitable that your child or children are going to get one or some of these diseases I keep saying diseases, it's a horrible word, illnesses, <laughs> um, throughout their life. So we're about 16 days into this now, um, Finn is it's still even getting a bit more worse, she's really, I noticed she was really starting to struggle to catch her breath during the fits, but it never got to the stage where I was like so worried that I was like, I'm going to take her to hospital, it still felt manageable even though it was scary. And yeah, like I think I mentioned just before, I started really beginning to fear night times. Like it would start getting dark and I'd be like, oh man, like I've got to go through this all again. And just like didn't want it to get dark, didn't want to have to go to bed with Finn because night times were just so horrible. And yeah, Dylan and I just kind of got to this stage where 
yeah, where we were just coming from such a place of fear, but we were able to sit down and have a good chat about it and like kind of checked in, like, are we doing the right thing? Do we wish we had done anything differently? Um, we know that fern like we need to put our trust in fern's body and our trust in ourselves. and yeah we just had this really awesome mindset switch out of fear and into like oh we got this like we're doing everything we can we can get through this um mindset and I feel like from there things just naturally started getting better so three weeks into this by now um our isolation period ended so once we knew it was pertussis we had to isolate for a week Um, But we just kind of kept away, especially from high-risk people, for at least another week or so. And by now, Fern was definitely starting to show some improvement. Like, I felt like she was on the way up. And, yeah, I'd been giving her the regular vitamin C dosing. And that had definitely helped her to get through it. But I feel like it wouldn't have been so bad for so long if we had gotten on to that dosing way earlier. But we just kept being told it wasn't hooping gov, so we weren't weren't kind of taking it too seriously um yeah so basically I just want to like keep giving these dates just to show you like whooping cough is such a long and intense illness um and yeah in general it's described there's two weeks of like really tough times and that's a long time to be like a strong parent for um yeah so even a month later life was like mostly back to normal but Fern was still having a couple of coughing fits throughout the day and night but at least the vomiting had stopped and they were a lot shorter so yeah even two months later Fern was still occasionally having coughing fits so yeah it's called like it's called the 100 day cough and for exactly this reason it can go on it goes on for a very long time but yeah largely two really tough weeks so I hope that hasn't scared you. That wasn't the telling that story. The purpose was just kind of to be realistic about it. That, um, yeah, it is really tough to get through an illness like that. But then having come out the other side and having successfully nursed her at home just feels so good. And just like, cool, we got one under our belt. Like we've got experience now. When the next one comes along, I feel like we'll be able to handle it a little bit better. But yeah, it's definitely a dramatic illness to say the least. Um, And just a a few points I wanted to share was that once you're diagnosed with pertussis, the doctor offers you antibiotics. But honestly, these aren't any help. Don't give them to your child. I took the script and said, thanks, but obviously didn't um, go get them, chose not to. It's actually proven that most of the time they don't do anything except destroy all your gut flora. Um, (laughs) So, yeah, luckily I knew about the um, sodium ascorbate protocol and felt happy just giving that um, at least until I saw that it wasn't working. But luckily it didn't get to that. Um, Also the point that natural immunity for whooping cough lasts for 20 to 30 years, maybe even longer. It's kind of a hard thing to study. Um, as opposed to the vaccine, which lasts for three years at the most. So it's just, oh, I'm just, <laughs> it's such a silly thing. Even if you vaccinate for whooping cough, you need to keep getting it every three years, which nobody does, to stay immune to it, if the vaccine has even worked, that is. Yeah, so this is why I think natural immunity is much more superior to artificial immunity because Fern now has this immunity for a long time, maybe even a lifetime, who knows. And I also wanted to point out the fact that 
The reason I think the doctors were so kind of confused and didn't think she had whooping cough um, was because she's such a healthy child. So she only got quite a mild case of it. And actually also because she's not vaccinated. So even if you're vaccinated, there's actually been case studies that show it's actually more often the vaccinated children who get whooping cough than unvaccinated children. But um, yeah, so you can still get it even if you're vaccinated. But often it's um, a much worse case of whooping cough that you get if you are vaccinated as opposed to a milder case if you haven't been vaccinated. And just back to... um, yeah, like it was like I said, it was our first time taking Fern to um, our GP, and she was really supportive once she <laughs> once she um, finally believed that it was whooping cough after we got the results back, and I found the information she gave me super helpful. Um, so she helped to reassure me by giving me a list of symptoms, a list of things that like a Fern got that bad that's when you need to take her to the emergency room. For example, like if she was really having trouble breathing and catching her breath, um, but as long as she wasn't doing those things, then we were totally fine to just nurse her from home. So that made me feel really confident and like, cool, we, we've we got this list of things. We know when it's gotten too far, like too much for us to handle, that's when we can go seek help. But luckily for us, it didn't need to get to that. And then, yeah, lastly, just touching again on that the isolation was hard having to be stuck in a home for a week actually we all know what that's like now now that we've had COVID and been um, in much longer lockdowns ourselves but imagine if it's just you (laughs) and your child so that was really hard having to stay at home got so sick of a house we're like I would take us out for walks and just kind of steer clear of other people Um, important to just still get some fresh air and sunshine but yeah, the isolation mixed with not knowing if we were doing the right thing, you know, it was our first um, big illness that Fern had gone through and kind of questioning things, but definitely came out the other side more confident, but for sure had times of doubt. Um, and also like worrying if we'd infected other people. So yeah, it was just, it was, it was a tough time, but we made it through. It definitely showed me, though, once again, how important it is to have support. So I want to finish with a list of different ways to make sure that you are getting support in your life and with you and your child, children's health. So you need to have a supportive doctor. Like I said, our GP is really great. She's vegan. She supports a whole food plant-based diet. She doesn't push vaccinations on us. Um, yeah, all those things. So really grateful to have a supportive GP and recommend you find one too. Investing in um, practitioners. This is something again that was repeated to us at these authentic resistance courses and I'm kind of only only now just being able to get over the money side of it, how much it costs and realize how important it is. So a good homeopath, a good osteopath, these are the people you want to invest and put your money in rather than medications. Um, family and friends of course are a big support like when Fern had hoping cough my mom would bring a meal over every couple of days and just say hi through the window and that was so so nice Um, my flatmates as well couldn't have done it without them I would just be stuck in bed with Fern a lot of the time and they would bring me food and just kind of um, took over the cooking and everything and let me off the hook so that I could just nurse Fern so super grateful for that um, experienced parent friends if you have them are another great means of support to just kind of reassure you when you're going through something like this and pass on their knowledge and experiences 
Now, the this authentic resistance course that I keep mentioning, I was so excited to have this in here. Um, highly recommend their courses to you, but they're actually not happening anymore at the moment. You can go on their website. There might be an update of what's happening on there, but basically they get a lot of backlash because they offer information that is um, suggesting to not vaccinate they get a lot of backlash and I think it just kind of got a bit much and then with COVID and everything. So I know that they've stopped for the moment, but I really, really hope they come back in the future because I have learned most of what I know from them and I'm so grateful. They also actually, one of the best bits of going to their courses is you get access to um, a Facebook group of theirs and I still post on this regularly and still read other people's posts in there all the time. You can just post, hey, this is going on for me. What do you recommend? And there's a few experts in the group who can just give really great advice. So again, another great resource if you have chosen not to vaccinate. And finally, of course, books, podcasts, Google, it's so important to continue to educate yourself. There's just limitless things to learn um, on this health journey. I know I'm still only at the start, but already since having fun, I've learned so much and I'm really grateful for everything that I've learned, hence why I want to pass it on to you guys today. <sighs> we did it. <laughs> As always, I will put all of the resources I mentioned in the show notes. You can go and find them. Don't forget to check me out on Patreon. I would love to have you join my Crunchy Parents group. I'm just, yeah, like I said, loving posting in there and hearing what other people have to say and answering their questions. Other than that, just sending love and talk to you guys soon with the next podcast. Kakite. If you want to see more of my content or get in touch, check out my Instagram at crunchymama, that's M-A-M-A, or visit my website, www.crunchymamapodcast.com. Thanks for listening.